Today's sponsor is Stamps.com. Avoid trips to the post office. Use Stamps.com to buy and print official U.S. postage right from your computer. Go to Stamps.com today and sign up for a special offer. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in decode. Today is also sponsored by Audible.com, which has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Get a free audiobook of your choice at audible.com slash decode. Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, hosted by Kara Swisher, powered by digital media. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode. You may know me as the demo dolly for The Verge at CES, but in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. Today, we're doing something very special. It's our first episode of 2016, and instead of one guest in the red chair, we have three experts from Recode and The Verge here to talk about the biggest tech news stories of 2015 and what's coming up next for CES and more. Welcome Lauren Good, Casey Newton, and Noah Colwin. Hello, everybody. Hi, Kara. Hello. How's it going? Happy Howdy. New Year. Thank you. Is anybody still hungover? <laughs> I know I am. Didn't you do an article earlier this year about how to fix that? I did. Some cure. All right. All right. Okay. On theverge.com. Are you going to keep saying theverge.com? As as often as I can. All right. Okay. All right. Okay. Although this is a rico.net because we put the sexy into net. I don't know if you know that. Um, Anyway, we're going to talk about a bunch of topics and uh, everyone has written in of you guys what you think are most important. And so let's start off with Lauren. So what is your thing that you talked about in 2015? Wearables. Wearables. What about them? I wrote a lot about wearables this year. Well, so every year for the past few years, we've said, this is the year that wearables are going to be the next big thing. Mm -hmm. And then every year for the past few years, it hasn't quite gotten there. Um, From a sales perspective this year, I mean, I think you can look at Fitbit's earnings and say they had some gangbusters quarters in terms of unit sales. And there have been some estimates that Apple has probably sold millions of Apple watches. But from a pure innovation perspective, I don't really think we've seen anybody push the needle forward in terms of wearables. So is that going to be different in 2016, Casey? Um, I sure hope so. I mean, at the end of the day, I still wearables is something nice you get for a loved one on Valentine's Day. They wear for a week and then throw in a drawer once its battery runs out, you know, Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, I, I mean, when, when you look at this explosion of wearables, think about how different it was when the iPhone came out and all the cool things that app developers figured out to do with it. What's a cool thing anybody's figured out to do with a watch? And don't tell me, like, get me into my hotel room, right? Um, we, we've seen such, like, terrible support for the, the Apple Watch among developers so far. And uh, I think until they figure out something interesting to do with it, you're just going to see more of the same this year. Well, why is that, Noah? I mean, you're a millennial. What's, what are you <laughs> Noah, as a teen. As a teen. As, as a teenager. Uh <laughs> Well, speaking for other 15-year-olds, I, I think it's just – I it was already been what – I think what Casey outlined. It's just there hasn't been – like what do you use it for? What do you want it for? What would you want? I mean I, that's a really good question to which I don't have an answer. I mean I'll, like speaking for myself, like I just can't think of anything that I'd use it for that I can't get out of something – that I can't get a lot better from a much cheaper job owner of Fitbit. Mm-hmm. Like if I – like as a fitness tracker to the extent that I do anything – physically active. Mm-hmm. I think for smartwatches specifically, battery life is still a problem and it's still going to be in 2016. There's no doubt about it. I mean, almost every uh, maker of a wearable that I've talked to that brings a battery life as a pain point says that uh, battery innovation is not happening as quickly as the innovation is happening in other areas. So they look to chips that may be using energy more efficiently, or they look to tweak their own software to make the watch go dark at certain times so that they're not using up all the battery life and all this, all those same constraints 
restraints are still going to exist, and I think that's still going to be a pain point for people. But I think more to the point is people don't want to wear these things. They're ugly. They're unwieldy. They feel funny on your arm. They don't do that much. They're sort of like the bread maker of your wrist. Well, some of them do. I mean, some people really like to wear watches, but then the people that really like to wear analog or mechanical watches don't want to wear these. Yeah, I have. So I just went back to a, watches. And, I just yeah, went back right. to a regular watch. And you had an Apple watch for a while. And you I had a Fitbit. Yeah. I'll tell you what, you give me a wearable that can make bread, mm-hmm. now we're talking. <laughs> Some sort of wearable bread maker, maybe that. a backpack, mm-hmm. a necklace. Yeah. Just, maybe, kept, just maybe let maybe me know. Make lovely morning buns. Me out of the trailer at CES when, yeah. I, need to, when I need to make an exit. So what would you like, <laughs> Casey? What would you like to have on yours? And Lauren, uh, I want you to answer the same thing. What, what do I want for like, Watch, what would you like on a wearable? Would you like a shirt? Would a shirt? Would you prefer a shirt? What would you like it to do? Honestly, I'm more intrigued by some sort of like head mounted display, not necessarily a Google Glass thing. Right. Like we found out that had some pretty like negative social implications because but, it rendered supermodels on, you know, whatable. Sure. Yeah. But, you know, if I'm wa- if I'm like walking down the street and I, and I don't want to do that thing where I'm like reaching into my phone every five seconds, you see who's messaging me and I maybe just have sunglasses that are kind of saying like, A, like here's, you know, your incoming messages and B, like turn right at this street to get to your meeting. Mm-hmm. That starts to feel pretty interesting to me. Give it to me with some good battery life. Give it to me at like a cheap price. Give it to me with seamless integration with my phone that feels really fast. I think that seems much more interesting. Um, so yeah, do that. What about you now? Well, I think that that kind of right there makes the case for a lot of this also as a problem of expectations. Like Google Glass is something that they, although it absolutely failed as a consumer product, Google is still pushing forward with something like it in an enterprise capacity. And the same thing with Google Watch, like uh, or Apple Watch. And one of the things I've heard from people who legitimately use it, uh, I mean, for those who can afford it that do deliveries for a living, I've talked to people who absolutely think that on their bicycle, turn-by-turn directions or something, the points you raise, I mean, those are all distinctions and advantages that don't mean a lot for everyday people, but in very specific situations could mean a lot. And so it could just be that we've been overselling wearables for a while. Mm-hmm. So now that they're actually evolving as a market and as a more common consumer product. We're again overhyping the expectations. Yeah, I guess. I think they suck. So we're going to move on. Um, all right. So Casey, you've been saying that Facebook's year of total dominance, this was 2015. What, what are you talking about? Yeah, well, you know, as we were talking about what was really impressive in 2015, I just think the year absolutely belonged to Facebook. You know, you think about a company that in 2012, people were still asking whether they would be able to figure out uh, the move to mobile. And now they own the absolute, you know, biggest mobile companies on earth, right? Whether it's the main app, which now has more than a billion people every day using Facebook, to some of their acquisitions, right? Uh, WhatsApp, it's 700 million. I believe Instagram mm-hmm. is now over 400 million. And they've monetized it, right? The stock price is up 35% year over year. It's currently the seventh most valuable company uh, in America. And I just think that speaks to just some incredible execution on, on the part of, of the people who work there. Um, Do you think they'll maintain that? I mean, obviously, as yeah, tech like, goes up who, and down. Who, like, r- right now, what is the competitive challenge to Facebook other than just like the eventual heat death of the universe, right? Mm-hmm. Like, because when they see a competitor what? come along, they scoop it up, right? Like, even if they have to spend $19 billion, they will do it. Uh, you know, every once in a while, a Snapchat comes along that, that can't be bought. Um, but, I, you know, I suspect we're going to see Snapchat run into some problems uh, too down the mm-hmm. road here. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm just like... I, so I, only I, the heat death of the universe. Will, okay, I'm going to hold you to that. Well, okay. Let's let's say like a lot of smart people... Because I remember AOL. It's sure. hot, 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 and then not, not, not. Sure. But like ask smart people, like what are the next two big uh, interfaces that we're going to see out there? And some people will tell you virtual reality and some people will tell you like messaging bots and apps. Like Facebook has arguably the best virtual reality platform 
platform currently in development with Oculus, and they're starting to do a lot of really interesting things around messaging bots with Facebook M. All so, right. so even as you look into like the five, ten year horizon, like they're already working further ahead than most. Noah, of the Noah, do you agree? I mean, they own. Do you use Facebook a lot, Noah? I do, but I mean, primarily, like I think Casey makes a really good point that they have complete dominance on mobile. I mean, all you, like there's a million different charts that go out there talking about how Facebook, truthfully, it's it's the app that is most used among WhatsApp and all of its properties, like it's, it's again, it's totally saturated. I think I wouldn't go so far as to say heat death of the universe could be uh, mm-hmm. when they run into trouble, but it could simply be that there will be some sort of platform that evolves or there'll, I mean, I just find it incredibly unlikely that there won't be something uh, that'll come along that could completely upend the way media operates. And it won't necessarily be virtual reality or just a changing economic reality mm-hmm. that'll change the way media publishers operate or the way ad dollars get spent. I mean, it's Facebook is, King of the status quo, but whether or not. Although I have to say, uh, you know, I hate to use the teenager comparison. My kids don't use Facebook; they use Snapchat. They use everything else but Facebook. Yeah, what is but Instagram? Facebook has managed. To they don't use it cla- as much. But Facebook has managed to sink its claws into the future generations by investing in technologies like you're yeah. saying, like Instagram the Oculus, would be. Yeah. right? Like Instagram, uh, like uh, WhatsApp, like uh, I mean, there's so many things. Um, I don't know if it's quite figured out the photo sharing thing yet aside from Instagram. But yeah, I mean, it's just, I, I tend to agree with Casey. I think it's going it, to, Facebook has become, we, in fact, in one of our earlier podcasts, that an interview Peter Kafka did with, I think it was Ricky Van Veen, right? Van Veen. In, Van Veen. He said, uh, Facebook is search now. I mean, it's where people go. It's become that All right, Casey, you get the last word on this. Uh, no, I completely disagree with you. <laughs> uh, Facebook uh, ha- has a good business that will continue to be a good business. All right. You heard it here first. Yes, I know. But I'm holding <laughs> you to the heat death of the universe. Although yeah. that like will happen like tomorrow and then you'll be right, right? Like we'll be in like – you and I will be in some disaster movie together. Some bunker. Uh, some, some bunker. Um, okay. Uh, Noah, Here, the we'll U.S. government and Silicon Valley haven't always gotten along and they're getting along less than ever. With these terror attacks, November, December, a lot of calls from politicians to shut down the internets, to put backdoors everywhere they can. What do you think about this? I mean, it's so they haven't gotten along. And not only do they not get along, the government just fundamentally has always, the position has always been, and they never really wavered from it, that tech companies should allow the government to build backdoor points of entry into encrypted user information. Mm -hmm. Um, And the particular problem that's arisen after Paris and San Bernardino is not really much of a problem because a lot of the reports and a lot of the I mean a lot of the people who've looked who've looked at the situation say that it actually wasn't necessarily encryption that was the technology utilized that enabled these attacks that that wasn't how they well, were it's a super complicated issue and they want to do it in sound bites I think is yeah ab- absolutely and so there's a big I think there's a lot of political expediency uh, in why people are talking about this now Casey uh, the, the tech companies haven't said a lot they're keeping quiet. Um, yeah, I mean, then, you know, often there's not a lot they can say and they don't want to irritate the the government because the government uh, holds a lot of power over them. Um, but we have seen some interesting acts of resistance and, uh, you know, Apple, I think, has led one charge to say we're not going to support any sort of encryption backdoors, uh, you know, which, which is an idea that's garnered a lot of support. So uh, to me, they, they seem like kind of two sides warily uh, eyeing each other from across the room, trying to see if there's like some kind of ways they can work together but you know the tech companies are under understandably uh resisting and do you can think they can continue to resist um yeah i think they can yeah, they, they know how it works so they, they know just... how to work they know how it works exactly and and they know how to build those platforms and the federal so government they're just going to turn it. off lindsey graham's computer 
I mean, it would be the worst knows idea. knows how to turn it on. That's They're what I said. Turn off Donald Trump's Twitter account. Yeah. Do you think they should do that? That should it's be not going to happen. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting question though, because right. like Trump has been posting stuff to Facebook that uh, that on other accounts would be considered hate speech, and Facebook is making an exception, letting mm-hmm. him to continue to say things like ban Muslims from entering the U.S. That if you or I posted them, would would get us banned from the platform. Mm. Really interesting. Why are they doing that? Well, they're uh, making an exception for political speech, saying essentially that, you know, this is it's almost uh, qualifies under a news exemption. Like mm-hmm. just the fact that he's posting it as news. So, you know, yeah. we're not going to tamp down on it. Yeah. But I have so, a hard time believing in a year when politicians are going to be uh, looking for favor uh, in Silicon Valley that um, anything is really going to change, and change well, you, on the encryption end. And that's a really good point, because also there's a. I think you could very Hillary Clinton is effectively called for Silicon Valley to build backdoors or to to work with the government more. And she's been amping the pressure up recently. And it frankly doesn't sound like she's all that serious about it. I think a lot of the yeah, people like who are talking. Yeah, right. they're just doing it to save face because it's a way for them to sound like they're being muscular against like the threat of online extremism mm-hmm. without actually having to go as so far as to saying put boots on the ground. And well, so it's a great, I mean, it sounds like a position of moderation and the tech companies are smart enough just to stay quiet and wait it out because yeah, most of them told forever. me they're not going to say a word. All right. First, a word from our sponsor. Then we'll get back to the second set of tech topics. One great resolution you can make for the new year is to maximize every minute and every dollar for your small business. I know an easy way to do that with stamps.com. Think about how much time you've wasted going to the post office, driving there, finding parking, waiting in line. Stamps.com is an even better way to get postage. Just use what you already have, your computer and a printer, to get official U.S. postage for any letter or package. Then the mailman picks it up. With Stamps.com, everything you would do at the post office you can do right from your desk and at a fraction of the cost of one of those expensive postage meters. Stamps.com is easy to use and convenient. You should try it today by signing up at Stamps.com. Use my promo code DECODE for this special offer. A four-week trial plus a $110 bonus offer including postage and a digital scale. Don't wait. Go to stamps.com. Before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in decode. That's stamps.com and enter decode. We are here with a motley crew talking about the events of 2015. Later, we'll be talking about CES and what's going forward, which is coming up this week. But first, we're talking about things that happened in 2015, and we're getting to our second set of topics. Lauren, the hybrid mobile desktop tried this year. It really tried, but it didn't quite get there. Why is that? You know, I'm not quite sure. That was a big thought. thought, but thought I know. Thought. I know. Well, we saw, I, I, guess, I guess there are three shining examples of this this year. There was okay. the iPad Pro from Apple, mm-hmm. the Surface Book from Microsoft, and then just a few weeks ago, our own Dieter Bone at The Verge reviewed Google's Pixel C, which was kind of a hybrid tablet-y keyboard thingy. Mm-hmm. Um, and none of them have really been getting great reviews or at least seem to be swaying uh, the masses um, to give up their laptops just yet and use these kind of hybrid devices. Um, and by the way, the idea of a hybrid device is not new. It's something that a lot of PC makers started doing a few mm-hmm. years ago when mm-hmm. PC cells were slumping. They came up with the term Ultrabook. They started making them bendy and flexible and yeah. removable screens bendy. and all this stuff. Is that a right. technical term, bendy? Yeah, that is highly technical. All right. Okay. Yes. Casey, bendy why, why is this not working? Well, I mean, honestly, I haven't seen the sales numbers. You know, I would be curious how many third-party keyboards are 
were sold for iPads and, and maybe uh, they sold well enough to kind of look like fool's gold to makers, mm-hmm. you know, other sort of like Windows OEMs where they thought, ah, you know, why don't we just kind of create a fully featured version of this and, and people will go crazy for it. And some people really do love those things, like the yoga, it seems mm-hmm. like uh, I, I'm always seeing like positive things about. So, um, you know, it, it definitely um, gives you some added flexibility uh, from your device, but typically there are just too many compromises, you know, whether it comes to, to battery life or usability, they're just sort of always problems with them. So, you know, I sort of like um, to buy devices that are very comfortable being themselves, and these hybrids, I just think, have an identity crisis. They They're not enough of they one thing. Yeah. Don't well, know. I think the biggest problem that we saw last year was that they're still running mobile OSs, with the exception of the surfaces, right? So Microsoft's kind of in a different category because they've they've made basically this oh at Windows 10 that can work on both. Um, so they're but, not robust enough. Well, the Pixel C is running on Android, and so it's this like really great piece of hardware, but it's running this it's running Android and you're trying to run professional grade apps using Android and the same with iPad pro. I mean, it's this professional grade device from a hardware perspective, but you're, you're relegated to the app store and you're downloading iOS apps onto your day to day machine. Um, and so for some people that that works and for some, some people would say that is absolutely the way we're going, but it's just not quite there yet. I don't I think. See. Noah. Well, I mean, I think to add to Lauren's point, and I think it's part of why you saw Microsoft invest so much and put out all of the different office apps and, all the stuff, all the offerings that they've added for mobile platforms, Apple and Android. I mean, it's, it's, I think, reflective of the trend or the assumption that mobile operating systems are, are where it's all headed. I mean, you saw also Google is uh, looking to sort of sunset Chrome OS in favor of Android in the future. So even if and the they hard, denied it and they denied it, how could they, how dare they? Right. Um, even recognizing that, I think it's kind of clear that even if the hardware uh, configuration isn't quite there yet, that where everything is headed still suggests that some sort of mobile OS and some to-be-determined hardware configuration will be the dominant platform. Google announced that it would restructure into Alphabet. We are still scratching our heads over this letter situation. <laughs> Casey, what does that mean? What is, can you explain it, for one? And secondly, uh, Probably what not mean? very well, but, you know, I think... Google had become so unwieldy mm-hmm. that it was sort of no longer possible to have everything that the company did compa- contained within that one company. So mm-hmm. instead they created this kind of holding company and spun out a lot of the components of Google, such as uh, its life sciences division or like the X lab where it works on its moonshots and set those up a- as their own companies within this larger so umbrella of alphabet. Though, so, some of the wacky stuff, although you know, I mean, some of it isn't like that wacky, I guess, no, it's cool. uh, but, but, but it's, it's not, not related like, to like a core search business, right, you yeah. know? Um, so we're only now just beginning to see kind of what it means, but the company's just making a ton of moves. Um, like for example, you know, it's spinning out Niantic Labs, uh, which was this kind of startup within Google started by John Hankey, who used to run mm-hmm. maps. Like now that's its own company. Are there going to be other things that are spun out of Google? Like mm-hmm. we could see kind of a, a so whole new diaspora of Google it. companies. They're, they're de-spinning. Well, um, they can actually spin out a company. Unlike some companies you could probably think of. Kara. Yes, yes, that's true. Yes, yeah. yes. Oh, you mean. <laughs> They've unspun the spun at Yahoo. Now they're going to spin the spin of the spin. Um, I feel like Google took a look at all of its children that were like still mooching off the parents at home, and they were like, 
it's time for you guys to go get your own place. Really? Yeah. You think? Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, I, I got to say, for starters, every Monday morning at Rico.net until their next earnings report, uh, we have an article assessing yes, Mark each, Bergen. Yes, from our, from our alphabet beat reporter, Mark Bergen, that's assessing all of the different companies. But I think it also makes it really easy to explain what Google's doing uh, with its alphabet restructuring. And, a lot, and they simplified a lot of stuff. For example, like Google, like the thing that pays the bills at Google is still search advertising, mm-hmm. like more than anything else. Yes. And so now that's within one company and all of the bets that they're making in virtually everything else are spread into these distinct companies and efforts that now we can more easily talk about and that are, if not in plain sight, or at least we can parse them more easily. I think Larry Page just doesn't want to talk to anybody. That's mm-hmm. my feeling. Um, you know, I think they I think they do. They had a credibility issue with Wall Street, some of the stuff they were doing, and they wanted to do more things that were creative, I guess. And you can't really do that as a public company anymore. Um, you can't be hugely creative the way Google can be. Um, and, you know, in a weird way, I think a lot of these founders get tired of their companies, mm-hmm. and they want to do other things. They get, you know, Jeff Bezos going into space and – you know, they all they all want to do something else. Mark Zuckerberg wants to do his foundation, and you get but when, Elon Musk running three companies at the same yes, time. Yes, yes, yeah. but he started with space, so he's allowed to go into space. All right, Take last topic. <laughs> this year, online abuse took center stage in no small part thanks to Reddit and Gamergate. Noah, what's the takeaway this year on this awful topic? Right, so Gamergate initially began in 2014, um, an online abuse movement that's basically targeted uh, women in the gaming industry and has since gone, it's all over social media and it's targeted different media company and women in media predominantly. Um, But I think the issue of abuse in 2015 was elevated uh, in a way that it hadn't before. There were controversies at South by Southwest. Uh, There was an executive shuffle at Reddit that was directly tied to these issues. Twitter, Google, Facebook have all been forced to deal very publicly with these issues. And the thing about these issues is that they're not going to go away. They're going to resurface in different ways and in different forms in 2016 uh, that we can't really anticipate yet. And some of which we actually probably can anticipate. Like Reddit has not dealt with its abuse issue in any in a, in, a, mm-hmm. in a very public and meaningful enough way for us to be persuaded that there's going to be any significant change there. Yeah, now abuse has gone gone mainstream with Donald Trump and. And some of the candidates. I mean, there's a really there's a lot of also. I think to Casey's point earlier in the show about how what Trump says effectively qualifies as hate speech, as Trumpism becomes something that's more mainstreamed and the more noxious political rhetoric floats online. It's absolutely going to become an issue of contention for the companies that have to deal with managing like all of this content. Casey, your thoughts on this? Um, I mean, I'm really glad that people are paying more attention to this. I think it really speaks to the fact how many tech companies are run by men that no one understood the experience of women online Mm -hmm. until, you know, uh, until they were being threatened with death for expressing their opinions about video games. Mm -hmm, Right. mm -hmm. Like that's honestly what happened. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think Twitter to its credit, Twitter, you know, which is home to some of the most virulent abuse, uh, did finally start taking it seriously this year, did start introducing more anti-harassment tools. They still have a really long way to go. Um, and then Reddit, uh, you know, I think was much less successful. Um, and, you know, I hope that they do a lot better in 2016 when it comes to kind of tamping down on some of this outrageous stuff. I don't stuff. think they care. I don't. I, no, I mean, yeah, I, I think uh, I think that's right. I think they're hoping it goes away. They don't mind it. Yeah, I mean, well, then it's, you know, it's run by a bunch of libertarian dudes who, you know, you know just want to sort of wash their hands of it and say, hey, free speech forever. Uh, and they've never been abused a day in their life in and the never same been, way. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, to be clear, like, I very strongly support free speech, mm-hmm. um, but I also think it is incumbent upon platform owners to take responsibility if they're building a place where people are threatening to murder one another. Mm-hmm. 
I, I mean, agree. for what it's worth, a lot of them, the, the thing, the biggest issue and the biggest challenge that they face is as is that they are not willing to do a lot of the very unsexy and, frankly, stuff that a lot of their venture investors probably wouldn't be happy that they're putting resources into. A lot of the stuff about community management that doesn't involve, like, your traditional, like, you know, product ship date and cranking out, like, more lines of code that can better facilitate this stuff. I mean, a lot of it is gut work that involves hiring a lot of people to simply be there and monitor stuff in a way that they haven't been doing as aggressively before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I think it does take leadership. Lawrence, last well, one. I mean, I have some personal thoughts on this, too, because I've been the subject of some pretty hateful stuff um, online. And uh, and it is a real problem. And I'm hopeful that 2016 this year will bring, um, I don't know, I guess a more respectful kind of environment in the work that we do. And I, I agree with Casey that Twitter has taken some steps to sort of control what's happening online. Some communities have, but others Others really have not, and they need to get their act together. Do you think it'll stop being a conversation? Or no, nope, I don't think it is. I don't think it is. I think people feel when they're on the Internet that they're sort of uh, – it's not real life, and they're sitting behind a screen, and they say really hateful things that they wouldn't maybe otherwise say in person. And um, and I just think fear and uncertainty breed this kind of – I don't know. I guess virulent is the best word, behavior that we've seen. Yeah. YouTube is still people. a problem. I've called some people, and, and I found them, figured out who they were. They sometimes have their phone number. And they're shocked when Brilliant. you go, what? Like, yeah. They're like, oh, I'm so sorry. Right. I'm like, oh, wow. I sit around my phone waiting for Kara to swish her to call me, and instead <laughs> she's calling these trolls. They're you know, what has a guy got to do to get some yeah, attention around yeah. here? We're going to have an office together soon, Casey. I you know, wait. There's going to be so much Casey and Kara yeah. hanging out. It's going to be a little depressing for Kara, but it's okay. <laughs> um, moving on from the trolls of, of the internet, I'm going to do a word from our sponsor. If you're always on the go like myself and don't have time to sit down and read, Audible.com is a great source to be able to catch up on the latest bestsellers. Listen to it while on the road or at the gym. Audible.com is a leading provider of premium digital audio information and entertainment on the internet. Audible content includes more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Audible carries audiobooks in every genre imaginable, business, classics, history, and self-development, just to name a few. Casey, what should I listen to next? On Audible.com? Anything. Have you listened to Elon Musk by Ashley Vance? No, I have not. Uh, An incredible book about a fascinating man. All right. All right. Anything else? I didn't know there was going to be a pop quiz on this podcast. I'm I'm, I'm actually... well, my problem is I'm not sure that the book is on Audible. All right, what is it anyway? We'll, we'll get I'm it reading a book that. right now called City on Fire. Uh, it is a, a lengthy novel, and it's really good. All right. Great Noah? story, Casey. Uh, right now I'm reading The Invisible Bridge by Rick Perlstein. It's a book about the history of Reagan and the rise of the religious right oh, in the 70s. I lived through that, so I know. The 80s, actually, is when I lived through Well, it was, it's a book worth listening to, especially if you want to get caught up on what led us to our current political moment. Yes, I, could, I remember very well. He had James Watt as his. Uh, interior secretary he had uh, Don Reagan uh, whoever all of them I remember all of them Casper Weinberger a great cast of characters yeah right if you I guess that's one way of putting it um, Lauren any books I'm reading a couple right now this is not new but I'm reading BJ Novak's one more thing yep. because he was on the show a few mm-hmm. weeks ago it was a last year sometime and it was a great episode right. and reading that all right. and I'm really really trying to finish the everything store which I haven't finished yet and um, about Amazon about Amazon by our friend Brad. All right. Well, those are good suggestions. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook of your choice and a free 30-day trial membership. Just go to audible.com slash decode and choose from over 180,000 audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audible.com slash decode. That's audible.com slash decode and get started today. Now we're in our last part of the topics of this year of 2015. 
Lauren, are Apple's best days behind it? Ooh, Ooh that's like question. that's kind of a that's suggesting it is. Uh, this came up in a panel actually yeah. that was on not long ago. Uh, so I'm gonna say no. I don't think it was a particularly innovative year for the company, um, but it is still a tremendously successful company. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you can look beyond stuff maybe that came out this year um, that felt slightly incremental, like something uh, you know something like the Apple Watch mm-hmm. or maybe the new MacBook that uses a new type of charging port mm-hmm. uh, and is super thin and all this stuff. Or you look even past something like the iPad Pro, which is another step closer to using the iPad as like our regular computers. Um, if you believe that the company is, in fact, getting more into the connected car space or autonomous vehicles, um, I mean, I think that's something that could potentially be really big. I think that if they finally get their act together around artificial intelligence, um, I think that is something that could potentially be, you know, if Siri ever improves, could be... I don't know, something something that will help the company. I don't think its best days are over. Let's put it that way. All right, Casey? Uh, I mean, from a business perspective, Yahoo is a – I'm sorry. Yahoo. God, wow. <laughs> Freudian. Um, we'll get, we'll yeah, get to them. Casey is saying yes. Uh, no, from, from a business perspective, uh, Apple's a juggernaut and will remain a juggernaut for the foreseeable future. But I do think they have a taste problem. Uh, you know, the, the sort of – the details and the polish that we have long looked to them the battery, for are starting right? to disappear yeah. from their products. So you look at this battery case, battery. right, which, which, which just is like absolutely baffling. Um, and then, you know, there's just all kinds of little stuff. They're starting to like put full uh, like takeover pop-up ads inside the app store if you're running an old iPhone saying, hey, do you want to like buy a new iPhone? Yeah. Just stuff that like the company would not have done in the past. So I hope they really kind of come back to that core sense of the like taste and again. polite and, and uh, yeah. No? I don't know. I I still think of it like every the phone that everybody has at this table, the computer is, is still like an Apple product. And yeah, we're elitists. And I was, well, I was going to, I think that insofar as we can get, we can get worked up about a truly awful looking battery case. Mm-hmm. I still think that they're, they're still so far ahead of where a lot of other people are. Like they're still the default. The mature go-to. thing to say now. Mm-hmm. You're so mature. Yeah. I think China <laughs> also has a lot to do with how Apple is going yeah. to be doing in the next two to three years as well, whether or not the Chinese consumer can uh, afford and afford to embrace Apple in the way that uh, Western countries have. I mean, I think yeah, no n- nothing is even close to supplanting the iPhone as the best smartphone in the market. Yeah. And, the smart, and you know, the iPhone accounts for most of Apple's profit. So to right. the extent that that remains true, like Apple is going to be just fine. Um, but, you know, the world can change fast. Yeah, ask, ask Rim. Mm-hmm. Until like Apple's credit, they've also, for stuff like Apple Music, I mean, they're still able to lock down yeah. Yeah, what a kind terrible of product! I mean, I'm not saying that it's a great product. All their work software is just really—it's not subpar. great. It's—I—I I, I I, I would Spotify. go as far as to say abusive. It's like really <laughs> badly. I mean, know, yeah, mail, iTunes is the most ab- abusive product that they make. Yeah. It is so hard to figure out how so many things Photos, work. There's a, you know, yeah. a lot of things. I think the thing is, that nothing this year was—it seemed like an entirely new idea. When you look at streaming music, when you look at a smartwatch, when you look at a hybrid tablet laptop, I mean, all of these things have been done before in previous years. Yeah. I think Apple's. Right. Next new thing has to be a really big new thing. Speaking of big new things, Uber uh, showed signs that it is growing up in 2015, but it's also facing a class action suit and other issues. Casey? Yeah, Uber. so I think this is going to be... You're Mr. Uber, by the way. Uh, well, that is a weird title to have, <laughs> and I reject I it. Okay. Um, Move over, Travis. You know, uh, 
One of the big stories of 2016, I think, is going to be this class action lawsuit. A number of drivers have filed suits saying that they should be considered employees. employees. Uh, they are not freelancers, uh, according to the arguments they've made. And it's true that by, you know, in many ways, Uber controls their lives, you know, in ways that are very different than, like, Kara might control a freelancer's mm -hmm. life, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so there's a, kind of this big question of, like, A, how will the courts feel about it? B, if the courts did decide that everyone who drives for Uber is, in fact, an employee, what is that mean for Uber's business model? Does that mean that the, the the cars are no longer as cheap as they once were, which then drives down demand, which then prevents the Uber network from growing? Mm -hmm. I suspect that Uber will be able to survive that kind of threat, but yeah. it has implications Seems for inevitable. the entire gig economy, right? right? The Postmates, the Task Rabbits of the world. Everybody is going to have to wrestle with this question, and so I think it's just something you're going to see you tons of coverage on. I, well, here's the thing: it's sort of been uh, many days since the last real Uber scandal, yeah. right? Yeah. And uh, there you know, used to be a lot of Facebook scandals. Remember that? There, yeah. There used to be a lot of Facebook scandals. You know, 2014 was the year that Uber could not stop stepping in it, and they mm -hmm. gained this very deserved reputation as a corporate supervillain. Mm -hmm. um, this year, I think they started to shed that a little bit, um, basically just by spending millions of dollars on, on PR and hiring people mm -hmm. who could actually tell the executives at the company how to deliver yeah. a speech. Um, but, you know, that's part of growing up here in yeah. the company. No threats to journalists this year. Yeah, no, 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 none that we're aware of. None that we're aware of. They're following you right now, Casey. Yeah. Uh, anybody else on Uber? And then we're yeah. going to move to venture campus. Well, I think we also – the one of the funny things uh, about Uber is that also the company has kind of admitted that its long-term 2030 plan to start going to autonomous driving cars, the issues with labor are going to be a blip. Like if you want to take the real long-term view on the company – They've admitted publicly that they don't want to be. They don't want to even want to plan to rely on drivers. Well, at the same time, someone was, I was talking to last night was saying that if they're not, if they don't have a car, they could be in big trouble if there's no, you know, just because they have the reservation system that could be easily supplanted by Google, who just deploys the cars without anything else. Yeah. Do they need a car? Um, well, they're investing tons of money into research and development around autonomous driving. So I think mm -hmm. we have to expect that yes, there will be Uber cars on the road at some a, point. Everyone's having a car. They'll probably do it with like four. You got a car. Look under your chair, Kara. I got a fast car. Yeah. <laughs> we got a ticket to get us out of here. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's move on to the last thing, the bubble. Venture capitalists have been warning about froth and speculation, the very people that created the froth and speculation. Is this a cause for concern, Noah? Well, I, I think that 2015 was finally the year that a lot of the big venture capitalists, Bill Gurley at Benchmark, Fred Wilson at Union Square Ventures, um, you started – they started coming out of the woodwork saying, we're in a bubble, there's too much speculation, all these unicorns, they're going to die, even though we helped create and propped a lot of them up for the length of their careers. And so the thing that's kind of crazy is that now that they're all saying it, you actually start to see some of the consequences of this, specifically most, uh, most recently when Fidelity and, and BlackRock and, and other big they PEs, the, yeah, they wrote down the value of their investments in companies like Snapchat. It's not, not, it's not even startups that people are super bearish on mm -hmm. right now. So I think that it's kind of clear that there is some sort of – there's a lot of speculation. Just because they're saying it, Casey? They just say it. They create it and then they say it and then what are they – they don't like some of the investors that are in here that are causing some of the hedge funds, the – the bigger firms. Yeah, I mean, on one hand, I think that I, I find the question of, oh, are we in a bubble? It's the most tedious question mm -hmm. because, you know, I've only been writing about tech for five years. And ever since I got here, somebody's been telling me we, we were in a bubble. My favorite thing anybody ever said on Twitter was journalists have successfully called 10,000 of the last bubbles. Um, <laughs> you know, but but that said, like, we also did see a lot of companies, uh, you know, have their valuations uh, downgraded in, in 2015, probably appropriately by, you know, by some of these investors who had invested in them. So uh, it seems like we're sort of entering uh, – a return to normalcy um, in in the VC world, uh, at least in in some ways, and you know that's probably a good thing. Okay, Laura, do you care at all? 
No, I do care um, about certain companies, but I feel as though um, I agree with Casey. Actually, again, we're just so on the same oh page. God, I feel verge people. No, I feel as though it's a there's a little bit of a shakeout happening right now. Um, like if you look at Jawbone um, late last year, two of its key investors actually wrote down their shares, and I think you're seeing um, some companies that maybe have been riding high for the past decade or so, or maybe even shorter than that, um, there is a little bit of a reality check that's happening right now. But I will say this, I mean, I, I wasn't covering tech during the time of the last bubble, mm-hmm. but I really do think that um, some of these on-demand services are, in fact, here to stay, and are, not all of them, but some of them are here to stay and are truly changing things in a way that was not possible before because the software just wasn't there before, the mobile wasn't there before, the marketplace wasn't there before. Um, so I think there are a couple of these so-called unicorns that seem a little bit more legitimate this time around than last yeah, time. Yeah, that's true. That's absolutely true. I don't care if venture capitalists lose money or not. So well, if they want to mark it up, they can mark it down. I think one of the other interesting dilemmas, though, that's posed by this this time right now is that throughout the 2000s, a bunch of rule changes from the SEC and others basically has made it possible for companies like Uber to delay going to the public market yes, by a raising. Very big difference. So we don't have a lot of information about it. But at the same time, a lot of the things, it's not that people are, I think that Casey is absolutely right to note about how many people have cried wolf about a bubble before. Right. But I think perhaps what's different this time is that as more and more people have to like lift an Uber, have to raise these massive rounds of money in order to sustain their growth strategies, even if they don't have the revenue to deliver. Well, they have to build a layer, an evil layer. That's one thing. Right? <laughs> Correct. I need the money for that. <laughs> Casey, do you need to say anything about Yahoo? Because you, you you like Freudian slipped them several I, times. Well, I mean, look, I'm I'm sitting with the world's foremost expert on Yahoo, so I would much rather hear from you. But I mean, just yeah, from my perspective, which comes mostly from reading your reporting, <laughs> is that like we are now in the end game of Yahoo. It's know. become a financial engineering story. It's no it's no longer. A, well, I'm here's like what I would say. I'm always primarily interested in like kind of products, right? Like yeah. I like to write about the stuff we actually use. Yahoo has almost stopped being a product story now because all of the attention is is on the sort of financial engineering around what feels like sort of like the final disposition of the company do you think it's my fault um, no, I credit you with single-handedly keeping Yahoo interesting over all these years <laughs> with all these story. leaks. You it's know, a narrative. Yeah. It's narratives, Casey. All right, Lauren, Casey, Noah, it's great talking to you. Thanks for coming by. You're going to stay in your seats because we're going to talk about CES after a quick break. If you enjoyed this discussion as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to the show. Be the first to listen to future episodes or catch up on previous episodes, including some really fantastic interviews with Ev Williams, Chris Saka, and Valerie Jarrett, just to name a few all on recode.net slash decode. Also, be sure to check out our other show, Recode Replay. We have scores more red chair interviews from all our events, including Andy Rubin, Hillary Clinton, and the cast and crew of Empire. And that was some session. You'll have to listen to it. All this and more on recode.net slash replay. Today's Too Embarrassed Ask is brought to you by Audible.com, which has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Get a free audiobook of your choice at audible.com slash decode. All right, Casey, Noah, Lauren, welcome back. We're at two embarrassed ask segment. We're talking about CES. Yay. So, so we're gonna we have questions from people. You're, now we're all going, correct? We're all going. We're all gonna be together in one room, <laughs> so right? Excited. Yeah. Any insight, top yeah. line thoughts about it That's besides right, being excited to share a room or, with Casey? Oh. Uh, top line thought. I mean, my real thought about CES is that every year it it feels less relevant. Every year we go there and for a week, go. and by two weeks afterwards, I couldn't tell you one thing that happened at the show. So here's hoping that this year something legitimately interesting happens at CES. But probably not. But probably not. All right. I think this Lauren? is the year we're going to see a bunch of people on hoverboards, which is going to be annoying, even though they're banned at CES. And we're going to see a lot of people wearing virtual reality headsets. All right. And they're exploding hoverboards was what Casey was 
was hoping for, correct? Yeah, you know, hoverboards uh, did have to be banned, unfortunately, from CES. Um, but I bet you're going to see a few rebels and outlaws sneak them in, and let's mm-hmm. hope a couple of yeah. them just blow right up. Gonzo okay. style. Well, that's a nice case. Yeah, okay. I mean, not with anybody on them. All right. But, you know, just, just to create some sort there of visual spectacle. Just smolder by yeah. themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, this is your first time, correct? Yeah. Are you excited? Yeah. Vegas and CES. Good. Yeah. Oh, a newbie. That's so nice. We're so sick of it. We're so jaded. All right, let's do some questions from readers. Yorick Dupon, at Yorick Dupon. That's a really interesting name. Uh, will we see affordable 4K TVs, or will be that be for next year? Who wants to answer that? Well, I think you're always going to see ridiculously priced displays at CES because that's where that is the spectacle where that all happens. So you see things like 10K displays or you see like, you know, 10 foot tall 4K displays and they're not really meant to be something that's accessible to consumers. They're meant to be something that showcases a new technology or is used maybe in a commercial space and that kind of thing. So we're still going to see the massively huge, unaffordable, high resolution displays. Mm-hmm. We might also see 4K come down in price, but that's something you'll probably see more at retail than you would at something like CES. What do yeah. you think? Okay. Go ahead. Affordable is a relative question. I don't know what our questioner you know, would consider affordable, but just Moore's law suggests that all of these prices will come down over time. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, if, if, it's, if you can't afford it this year, by next year, it'll, it'll you know, probably be closer to within your budget. All right. I actually find some pretty affordable 4K TVs Yeah, now. I just think there's lots of TVs there. I just mm-hmm. don't know what's going what on. What do you think, Noah? No, do you have any thoughts on TVs? You're going to be amazed. I like looking at them. Good. Well, you're going to see a lot of them when you go to the floor. It's the noisiest place on earth. Awesome. Awesome. So excited. Um, uh, Stephen D. I'm never going to pronounce this. Vujovic. Deja Vujovic. Ha, ha, ha. At Deja Vujovic. That's really good. Uh, Any thoughts on products at CES adapting or moving to USB Type-C? Oh, my God. We're in deep nerd territory. (laughs) Casey, you take that one. And I'm going to skip Noah. Um... Thank you. Look, no I problem. would look anytime the industry rallies around a standard, I get excited because it means that I have fewer like peripheral cables that I need to buy. So like let's hope that everybody embraces the hell out of USB-C. Mm-hmm. Um it's it seems to be a decent standard, sure. Kara, can I nerd out for a moment? Yes, nerd out. Go okay. Ahead. I think it's also worth noting there are two different types of USB Type-C right now. Some of them are really good USB Type-C, and they support things like faster transfers and video support um, and charging, high-powered charging, and some of them don't. And so uh, I think we'll see a lot of USB Type-C, but I think we want to see one type of USB Type-C that kind of actually does something okay. for you. Are you done nerding out? I'm done. Okay. Steve St. Germain, at Steve St. Germain. Would love to see more smart devices except 360 video format, which I think we'll see. Yes. Hmm. That wasn't really a question. Steve. Yes, he's making a statement. So do you think that? This is like the classic town hall format. Somebody, hey, anybody, any questions? Well, this is really more of a comment. Sit down, sir. <laughs> Somebody escort this man out of the room. All right, come on. But three, uh, 360 video format. Yeah, it's it's here to stay. It's not going anywhere. Uh, Facebook just brought it into the feed. Uh, you're gonna, you know, yep. you're seeing all these like 360 degree kind of capture rigs from uh, from GoPro, um, from a Nokia has one that's out. So you know, everybody's trying to make 360 degree video a thing. I think the question is when are consumers actually going to have a good way to consume it? And, right. and uh, hopefully, VR sometime devices, this year, 2016, presumably. we're going to see some uh, decent VR headsets. So VR headsets. Uh, do you imagine that's the case? I've been talking a lot about VR headsets with people recently. Do you see that as this is the year of it or or at CES? 
it's a major inflection point because Oculus's uh, headset, which is, which is the most highly anticipated one, mm-hmm. is supposedly going to hit the market this year, and yeah. that's, the that's really going to be a be moment. Beside themselves on that one, right? Oh yeah. I yeah. mean, look, virtual reality is a really big deal, and, and if Oculus, you know, pulls it off, you it's know, like it, Oculus it, Day, right? It, it will be as important as as the the birth of the web. Probably. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it is a big deal, though. But yeah. the issue around content creation is important. How do you make content for this? Is it good content? Is it not just looking around? Mm-hmm. Is it exciting? You know, I think that's where it really does matter. I agree. Yeah. So are you there can be a lot of them there? At- um, yeah. I mean, I think we're going to see tons of that stuff. Uh, you know, HTC is is working on one. Um, I believe Valve uh, is working on one as well. And Jaunt VR is, is mm-hmm. typically at CES. Mm-hmm. So we, we almost always have a lot of VR now to, to look forward to at CES. And it is, you know, usually one of the most interesting parts of the show for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Noah, you have an interest in VR. Would you? Yeah. I mean, I think what's really interesting is just how you see institutional money coming into VR now. It's not just a lot of the VCs who typically get into this stuff. Like yeah. one of Jaunt's biggest investors is Disney. Mm-hmm. So I'm really curious to see if at CES, I hope that they're going to be like, Disney also. I don't know if you know this, but there's a new Star Wars movie. It just came out. Yeah, I heard. Um, or we'll have by the time this I heard, nerd. Go ahead. Yeah. So, you know, if I'm curious to see what these big entertainment companies that are making VR plays, what kind of stuff that they may offer up and say. What would you want, Noah? What would I want? Uh, oh, man. I have something for you. There's a group of people at CES. They're going to have haptic suits. You put on a suit and it touches you. And I don't know. But I'm gonna, you're going to put on the haptic suit, Noah. I am. Yes, you are. I mean, I, you know, how about if I can do that it's while wearing VR, a, if I can do VR that. and a haptic suit. You wow. know where that goes, but anyway. I, I mean, where, where does it go, Kara? It just goes somewhere where it's very obvious. <laughs> going to go. But anyway, I think it's kind of interesting, the idea of haptic, that it's just beyond. It's not just in the glasses. It's a whole experience. That would be interesting. No? Yes? Casey, you're like smirking. What is that? <laughs> I I don't know, Kara. Thinking about where it goes. What does that all mean? It has what to is, be. Immer- oh no, we're not getting into your. What do you What problem. do you want? What do you want to see at CES? Like, would anything? I want to see the inside of the Four Seasons Bar. And that's <laughs> 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 you know, like, as I said, but Vox is putting me up in like I don't know the Motel Six in in like nearby, mm-hmm. you know, Barump <laughs> or Parump Parump. That's right. Lots of people would kill for this job, Andrea. I know that's true. That's a fair point, but and yet. <laughs> I think this is my 900th CES. Wow. I, I wow. Been, That's no, a big milestone. I, I have gone to CES for a long, long – I'm much older than your, this group of people here. What was the I, craziest thing you ever saw at CES? Oh, I think probably when Walt Mossberg and I stood in an hour-long line to see the Motorola, the new Motorola StarTech. That was the biggest <laughs> loser moment of my, my life. how far we've come. I know. Everybody was very excited, <laughs> and they had the StarTech, which was the very first flip phone, and it looked like a Star Trek uh, Communicator. communicator. And there was an enormously long line, and I did not want to wait, but Walt forced me into it. And we sat there in, like, a slowly moving line. And then just like the crown jewels of, of England, you just – it was in a – you couldn't touch it. It was in a – A bejeweled case. A bejeweled was it like case. sitting on a cushion? In a cushion. No, it was hanging. I don't know how they did it. But <laughs> you just you just admired it and filed by. It was sort of like looking at Lenin, like dead Lenin or something. It was craziness. And I literally was like – it was an hour of my life that I'll never get back. And that was like – but at the same time, I was like – Oh, because I'd been carrying around a big cell phone at that time. You know, it wasn't really a cell phone. It was a cell brick. Was it, it was a satellite phone. Was it attached to like a suitcase? That yes, had the I power had the source? suitcase. Casey, yeah. I, had a suit, I had a suitcase phone. <laughs> I, I'm that old. And it was really a great moment. And it was, it was very sad. And then one year I was stuck there. Uh, this is Kara's CES memories. Because uh, of a, I was working for the Washington Post. And there was a big snowstorm in Washington. And I could not return. 
So I was there like for weeks. Oh, it felt like weeks. And so I learned how to play uh, craps and I learned how to play poker. And uh, and you're still living off the winnings from that winter. Yes, exactly. I had a brief stint as a showgirl. Yeah. And so I, I've gone a lot. I haven't seen a lot. And I'm sorry when the porn group left. That was always a nice juxtaposition uh, when the Adult Entertainment Expo left. At the same time, I always like that emerging of people, mm-hmm. you know. It's it's the, just like natural, two natural groups of friends, you yes, know, natural I, allies. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I miss that. Yeah. But otherwise, we'll see. I just don't think a lot of, as you said, a lot of news happens at this thing. It just doesn't. It just, it did. And there used to be Comdex too. There used to be a lot more of these large events. And I think they, people are, are making innovations throughout the year. And so they don't save this for the you know, and also the keynotes have changed. It used to be very exciting when Gates did his annual keynote, and that sort of feels like a bygone right. era. Right, and this year it's like, or you know, now you it's like care. LG has a new fridge to show off. Yeah, exactly. So I know, yeah, it's tweets. a little tweets. Yeah, so well, it tweets it chills it. your wine. Yes, so I think that's the thing. The, the, the eventness of it has has left the building, I think, and it's a question of why everybody continues to to go there. That's mm-hmm. you know, why do we? When do we stop? I mean, you know, from what companies tell me, like it's not like they're there to walk the show floor. It's just that people fly from all over the world to to go to the thing, and so there's just lots of backroom deal making. Yeah, it's exactly. a great deal making yes, environment. That's right, exactly right. But you know, my favorite parts are the weird parts in the back with uh, all the, the strange. There are always Asian companies making all kinds of lights and different things that hang off cell phones. I really enjoy it back there. Mm-hmm. And that's where I've started to hang out with those guys. Weird CES. Yeah. Yes. Last year I saw um, this little tiny thing that looked exactly like a GoPro called a sports camera instead of a sports camera. And it was a GoPro <laughs> ripoff. It's exactly what it was. I also saw a Google sprots. Glass Sprots. I'm really into Their sprots. messaging was a little off. Someone sadly did not proofread their marketing materials. Um, yeah. And then there was one called Cool Glass, which looked exactly like Google Glass at a fraction of the price. So you can find some pretty funky stuff, a.k.a. Yeah. copycats. Yeah. If you well, it'll be nice to go with Noah because, Noah, we're driving there right now. We're mm-hmm. driving me and Mark Burgundy. It's going to be like Thelma and Louise and Louise. Do you have an RV? No, no, but that's a good thought. No, I have my, convert- my sports car. It's going to be great. We're going to be arrested. It's going to be like hangover or whatever. The- you should take a self-driving car so you don't. neither of you have you to You say die. hangover. I, I'm thinking fear and loathing. And fear and loathing. Oh, really? We're gonna, one of us is going to come back not living. Anyway, thank you for the group for discussing this. We're excited to be there. We will have lots of coverage on The Verge. We're going to let The Verge do all the heavy lifting, and we're just going to commentate from the sidelines in a snarky manner, right, Noah? Is that our point? Absolutely. That's Absolutely. our, that's our style. Like you tell us about every new LG refrigerator. Thanks you're a lot, welcome. Casey, <laughs> as your soul slowly dies. <laughs> Stuff like that. Anyway, thank you for coming on today. This has been a special episode of a Recode Decode with Lauren Good, Casey Newton, and Noah Colwyn. Thanks for coming, you guys. And now at what point do we crank call Walt Mossberg? <laughs> very soon. Very soon. You go walk around CES with him. Okay. It's like he's like uh, – Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt all wrapped, rolled into one. So you'll enjoy that. Yeah, The Walt Mossberg fans are, are rife at CES, so you, you'll have a good time. All right, now, we want to know what all of you uh, may be too embarrassed to ask about. Please tweet me at Kara Swisher with your burning tech questions. Lauren, how can people reach you? At Lauren Good, good with an E, at Twitter.com. Send us all of your crazy tech questions. No question is silly. We well, will some try. are, and we laugh at them privately, but yes. <laughs> we'll try to answer the yeah. other ones. Uh, and you can tweet at Recode. Yep, at Recode and hashtag T-E-T-A. That's Tina for Too Embarrassed to Ask. That's right. 
All right. Thanks, Lauren and company. See you next week. Thanks to Casey Newton from The Verge, Noah Colwin from Recode for joining us today. And finally, thanks to you for listening. This has been another episode of Recode Decode. We now have two new episodes every week. On Thursday, Recode's senior media editor, Peter Kafka, will be talking to Albert Wenger from Union Square Ventures. And next Monday, I'll be back here to talk about what actually happened at CES if I make it back. Tune in then. Cliffhanger. (laughs) This has been Recode Decode, hosted by Kara Swisher, powered by digital media. For more hard-hitting interviews with insiders from the worlds of tech, media, and politics, subscribe to Recode Replay on iTunes, featuring candid conversations with leading voices like AOL CEO Tim Armstrong, Goldman Sachs' CIO Marty Chavez, the team behind the hit TV show Empire, Shark Tank investor Mark Cuban, and presidential candidate Hillary Clinton. They're all on Recode Replay.